Good morning. How are you guys? Y'all know what tryptophan is? Just wanting to see what your tryptophan levels are. You're looking pretty sedate, had a lot of turkey, tends to set off the tryptophan in you, which kind of makes you want to nap through the usually boring game on Thursday afternoon after you've had your turkey. But hopefully you guys had a wonderful time with your families and grateful to have you here. And uh, we're going we're to do something for the next few weeks, just uh, on the leading of the Lord. I know we've been in First Corinthians, and I had hoped to finish First Corinthians before we got to the end of this year. Not going to happen. But uh, we are going to do a little series on hope. Uh, beginning today and going all the way through the service before Christmas that uh, was being described by Evan. So you can help me out by turning to Psalm 42. We start there. That's not where we'll live for the most part. I'm going to introduce you to the prophet Jeremiah this morning, and we can learn some things about hope. 2020, right? You're going to say that, and that's going to be like a punchline for jokes for years, isn't it? It's 2020. I mean, it's just been a bizarre year. And most of us could probably say, yeah, it's not done yet, right? So still more stuff could be added to the ledger sheet of the unusual year that 2020 has been for us. How do we, how do we finish out this year? And... What is, what, what's the place that God has to bring hope into a setting that doesn't feel like there was a lot of hope in it? Right? When, when the pandemic arrived in March, you know, it wasn't like a, a pandemic with a subtitle of hope attached to it. It just, it just felt like this confusing moment full of changes and life issues. And, and then along with that came cultural conflicts that were taking place and that stretched into the, the summer season for us. And then politics got added later into the year and there was just everything felt off balance and, and impacting us in a way that you could tell this, this is just an unusual amount of input to be managing. And I had this conversation with quite a number of folks actually, is they would just be describing their year and then they suddenly would say, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know how to put it into words. I just, I don't know. I just, I just don't feel right. Just, I, I don't know what it is. And they just would lose words trying to describe how, not just the circumstances out there, right? It wasn't just like, hey, aren't the headlines bizarre? It was this recognition that there's, there's just something, I, I don't know. I don't feel right uh, taking place. <laughs> I started to, to think, you know, yeah, I get that because I think I feel that way. I feel like I can't put my finger on why it is that something on the inside doesn't feel like it normally feels. Maybe dissettled, off balance, I'm not myself. Sort of like that moment that sets in right before you have full-blown nausea. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, there's nothing like, you know, for me, the events in all of life to be avoided with, with all, all cost avoid is throwing up. It's just something about that's that I, I don't want that experience no matter what. And no, you know, a lot of people are, yeah, but don't you feel better afterwards? Sometimes it doesn't matter. I, I don't want to travel through that location in order to arrive there. So I just avoid that at all costs. And you know, there, then there's that full blown nausea that sets in. You're not throwing up, but you just feel horrible. But there's that little moment right before nausea fully hits where you just sort of go, I don't know how many times I've said this to my wife through the years. I don't feel right. You know, it's like, you just kind of know where this is going though. I don't feel right. Well, that, there's a moment sometimes on the inside of us that's kind of that way. 
And that's going to get described by the psalmist in Psalm 42. The very last verse, he's going to say this three times actually in Psalm 42 and then again in Psalm 43. He says this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray just for a moment. Lord, I think... I've lived through enough seasons and moments that sometimes just can't always be explained. But I get this guy. I get that moment where there's something going on on the inside of me that I can't fully explain. I I don't understand it clearly. But I'm asking the question, why? Why do I feel out of sorts on the inside in my soul? And, And in some disruptive moment, it doesn't feel normal. His presence. And he even describes that yet if he hoped in God, yet again he would be praising you that, that that's even departed from him. But he hopes somehow that will return. Well, Lord, this probably is what a lot of us feel like finishing out the year 2020. It's like, Lord, some things that were normal have been lost along the way. Our sense of rejoicing and joy and anticipation and and being aware that there's good and that you're at work and there's a future. Lord, somehow that is displaced for too many of us. And Lord, we need your help and your grace to receive hope in our souls yet again. So, Father, join with us in this time. Join with us over the next few weeks that we might receive this gift that you work into our lives of hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, It's funny, as I've been praying and thinking and pondering doing this series to close out the year this year, a year that lacked hope, that we would install some hope at the end here. So then Monday, I wake up to my email feed and I get this feed from a fellow named Kerry Newhoff. Kerry's kind of a church commentator. He studies the church and tries to provide resources to pastors and church leaders, etc. And, and this is the feed that he starts the week with here. He says, so you want to quit? I get it. This has been an excruciating crisis to live through and lead through. While 25% of all workers want to quit their jobs right now, it appears it may be even worse for church leaders. Apparently, the majority of pastors are at least thinking about it. In his widely circulated or shared article, Tom Rayner explains that the vast majority of pastors he and his team work with want to quit. The pandemic, division, workload, infighting, Levels of criticism and loss of momentum in most churches is too discouraging for for most pastors, right? There is, for pastors today, there is a, a fallout in the soul of this season that we have walked through that makes all those factors touch something on the inside that leaves pastors in a place of saying, do I need to do something different? Do I I need to continue doing this, right? He says, Tom is right. There's never been a more discouraging season to be a leader. 
And if your experience is like most pastors, everyone's angry with you to boot. I don't know if everybody's angry with me, but, but I've bumped into more emotional outbreak this year, anger being one of them, probably anger being a predominant one than ever. Uh, just people are just, they're railing on stuff. They're just angry about stuff. And if you're anything in their life, you might become the object of that anger at some point. He says, I recently had a conversation with a top search firm CEO who predicted that next year will be a year of massive turnover in part because the crisis has made people rethink their options. I'm writing this not to convince you to stay where you are, but to think twice before you quit. All right, just very insightful element just brought out by that quote. The psalmist arrives at a place where there are circumstances going on around him. But his why question is not, why is that happening? And why is that happening? And why is that happening? No, his, his questions are about why is this going on inside of me? Why do I feel the way I feel? Why is my soul weighted down? Why am I in turmoil? Why do I just not feel right? That, that's an issue that, you know, maybe didn't take COVID this year to land any of us in that spot. Maybe other places of life have felt that way. But can I just tell you to be very careful in that moment? Because this is, this is I'm, I'm giving you sort of a schematic breakdown here of two things that are happening simultaneously. If, if you don't pay attention, though, to the fact that your soul can get in a strange place, if you don't factor that in, all you're left with is, what's wrong with that? And that, and you... And this, and these circumstances, and the, the why is all about stuff around you. It's not about you, right? And so, and let's face some realities. I don't know if anybody broke this to you. It's a small print that comes with everything in your life. Um, everything in your life has got something that's broken in it. So you know, when you got married, you know, we fell in love and he proposed and we were in this carriage and then we did this and then we had this incredible wedding, blah, blah, blah. Fine print, your marriage is broken. It's fine print. I don't know if you noticed that. It's going to feel broken at some point. Best friends, <clears throat> going to disappoint. Going to feel broken. Everything about your job, oh, it was the ultimate greatest job ever. I couldn't believe it. Oh, I'm so excited to be going to work for this company. Small print. I mean, you, you, we live in a fallen world. Everything is going to show up and announce to us that it's not exactly all that you hoped it was going to be. But if you don't get in touch with the fact that you can be on the inside searching for options, I'm just looking to make the inner noise go away. Uh, be careful that you don't blame all the inner noise on the outer circumstances of your life. There could be something else going on inside of you that needs to get fixed. And the psalmist takes us there, right? He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And then the next thing, hope in God, right? That's a, that's a fix it. That's a statement. He just asked two questions about what's on the inside. And then he diagnosed what's missing. Hope is missing in me. That's what's missing inside of me. I don't, I don't have a sense of hope in my life. Hope has been misplaced. And listen, 2020 could be a year that, that made that very easy for that to happen. 
But it raises the question of what are you setting your hope in to start with? Right? Might it be that some of the circumstances in our lives, we're, we're depending upon them to produce hope in us and we've, we've misplaced where we're looking for hope. Right? Barnabas Piper, John Piper's son, wrote a, a book at the beginning of the year called Hoping for Happiness. It's very insightful. He says, is happiness possible? When I began writing this book, the answer to that question seemed like a fairly obvious yes. Shortly after I turned the manuscript in, however, the COVID-19 pandemic swept the world and all that disappeared in the space of weeks. Thousands upon thousands of people died in the workings of entire nations ground to a halt. It was a terrifying and overwhelming. Never in our collective lifetime have we faced such uncertainty. Happiness was lost for some, called into question by many, and redefined for others. In the aftermath of a global pandemic, the answer to the question, is happiness possible, might sound a little different. Now, few of us need to be persuaded that so many of the things that we look to for happiness are actually rather fragile. But more than ever, we need to know that true happiness is, what true happiness is, and how to find a version of it that cannot be shaken. Right? Listen, I, I don't just want hope to be a volume that I have on a bookshelf. That, you know, when I get into a situation and I want to feel hope, I'm going to go to the bookshelf and I'm going to pull it off there and I'm going to remind myself of some things. I think we need to do that. I think the Bible serves in a function that's similar to that. But, but I want hope oozing from my pores. I want hope in, in the settings of life to be something that's become characteristic of me, that I have this sense of abiding hope that's in my heart, that when I stare out at life, something inside of me can greet the marriage that might need to be fixed, the family situation that's not perfect, the job that's not ideal, that I can greet any of those settings with something coming out of the inside of me. I'm not trying to draw my hope from those things. I get it from somewhere else. So whatever the circumstances were for the psalmist, he was looking for a hope to live his life in. Now, there is a God who cares about the life that you and I are living. He cares that this life feels like it's got hope in it. As broken as our world is, as much trouble as you and I can find, he wants us to have hope. So if God listens to us saying, why am I so downcast? And, and why am I in turmoil? And God wants to bring hope to me. How would God go about doing it? How would God get hope to show up on the inside of you? All right, so the one thing I want to accomplish today, we're going to do a few messages on hope here, but the one thing I want to accomplish today is I want to convince you biblically that, that hope in your life is not like a light switch somewhere hidden inside of you. That you come today and at the end of the service, I'm going to invite you to come up and I'm going to fish around the back of your hairline right here and I'm going to find the hope switch and I'm just going to flip it. And when you leave here today, it's going to be this zippity doodah kind of feel that all of a sudden comes over you and you just got this hope. That's not how you find hope in the Bible. So not a light switch, more like a process of what God does to bring hope into our lives, right? So today we're going to visit a man named Jeremiah, the prophet from the Old Testament. Next week we'll visit with the apostle Paul to help us understand how God brings hope 
into our souls. But all right, so Jeremiah, turn to Jeremiah with me. If you have your Bible with you, Jeremiah chapter two. Jeremiah is one of the major prophets. He's gonna show up in a little time period between 750 BC and 587 is where our major prophets make their debut. Uh, Jeremiah is more 620-ish when he shows up. He's, he's on the verge of a really bad situation when he shows up in the, the scene of Israel. The people of Israel who have lived in the promised land for years, they've gotten themselves into a bad place. And they're about to go off into exile. A foreign invader is going to come, going to overthrow their government, going to burn down their city, and going to load all the people up and take them to Babylon. So this is the setting that we're about to engage with the prophet Jeremiah. And, and he is a voice into that setting, right? And I, I want to highlight something here because he's going to sound a certain way. Prophets sound a certain way. Prophets, by God's design, they play a certain role. They don't play the role of somebody else or a different person in Scripture. They play a certain role in Scripture. So they're, they're reaching into a people who have a special arrangement with God, and they're reminding them of that arrangement. They're reminding them of how they've gone astray. They're reminding them of how they're out of bounds. I mean, in some ways, they kind of show up like a referee and throw a flag and, and call people back to something. Jeremiah today is going to help us see how God was returning turning God's people to hope. God was fixing their broken hope. But it's not always pretty when the prophet shows up, right? He's gonna interact with circumstances of the people's lives and maybe they're gonna do that today in a way that advertised for us that, that maybe we have found ourselves and they had found themselves into a place that they, they needed to be aware of where they were and where God was returning them to. And that's what we find in Jeremiah chapter two, he lays out his ministry here in the beginning of his book in Jeremiah 2, verse 1. Jeremiah is going to describe what I'm going to call spiritual distancing. We're all familiar with social distancing by now, right? And then that wasn't even a vocabulary word. I don't even know what social distancing was at the beginning of this year. Now I'm very familiar with it. Well, this spiritual distancing is what's going on here in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 2, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me saying, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, right? The people of God were set apart to him. The first fruits of his harvest, all who ate of it, incurred guilt, disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. In other words, God chose a people to be a special. They were the first of the harvest of the peoples that God was bringing to himself, the nation of Israel was. And anybody who came against them, God brought his own sense of discipline and punishment against those people. But then things changed in verse four. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? Right, at some point, God tells this great story. I remember, I remember there was devotion in the beginning. There was love. You followed me into a place. You trusted me. You were looking to me. And then... Can you explain this to me? Then what wrong 
did your fathers find in me? That that stopped being the way we related. What, what was it about God that came up short? What was it about who God is and what God does and what he's like in the, in the future that he offers? The being that he is. What was it about God that they thought we need to go elsewhere? I'm not sure this God's going to be able to be what we need him to be. Oh, I'm just bored. Whatever it is that God has, I'm just kind of bored with God. And this is what's going on. And can you imagine the God that we know? The God of great glory and power. Incomparable. There's no one like him. And yet people can get around this God and get to a place where they say, you know, I just don't find you as interesting as I used to. No, man, I'm, I'm getting you most powerful being in the universe, but I don't know, this, this power over here has got me really curious right now. Can I just take a break from you for a minute? Your, your beauty is like no other beauty, but you know, there's this beauty over here I just discovered. Can I, I'll get back with you. And, and God is raising this question that what, what was it that was lacking between me and the people that it belonged to me? That you went shopping elsewhere. And wouldn't you love it if the if you and I could genuinely scratch our heads and say, I totally don't get that. I totally don't. What a, what a bunch of knuckleheads walking through the wilderness, right? Idiots, huh? Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, just this week, I think I lamented with God over prone to wander. Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. Just one thing after another. Yeah, I feel like just some dumb basset hound or something. It's like, you know, here's my master, but butterfly. <laughs> and just chase that for a little while and then find something else and find anything but God to be worthy of my attention, my energies, my curiosity. How many guys have just found curiosity to just to be this this constant factor in the age of information, right? And our devices. That's just curiosity. Just, I, wonder what, I wonder what the latest news post is. Let me just check it out. Did anybody post something interesting from their lives? We're just curious. We're just endlessly curious. But yet we have a God who's infinite. And how easy is it for our curiosity just to run out, right? So God stares at that in this moment. And he says, you know, they went far from me and they pursued worthlessness. Right? They went after other things that in the grand scheme of things are just worthless. And right? sometimes I need God to put the label correctly on some of the things that I have so freaked out about. I'm so passionate about. And God comes along and says, hey, you know, that's kind of worthless, right? That's not going to profit you. That's not that big a deal. Then in verse six, they did not say, where is the Lord? Who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through, where no one dwells right in the past. God has shown up in the hardest of moments, and he has been something to us. And here we are now living in the land, and no one's even looking for God. Where, where's the Lord? The priest did not say, verse 8, where is the Lord? Those who handled the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. So when we dial into Jeremiah's moment, 
There was once this people who had a deep, affectionate love for God. And they find themselves in a place of great distance from God. They have gone far from him. And not just a few of the, you know, the half-hearted worldly ones. The priests, the prophets, the shepherds. You know what's so common? If you visit this group of the people of God, what was so common for each one of them is a new normal had come. And no one seemed to even be noticing that God has been deprioritized. No one's asking, where's the Lord? Do do we just keep doing this this way? Where's God in all that we are to be as a people? You know, we're, we're not, I'm not Jeremiah. We're not Jeremiah's moment. We're, we're not the nation of Israel who's about to be deported into exile. Right? So that's not, we're just learning from those guys. That's not us. But we've got our own story, right? I mean, we, we are a people who have come into the promised land. We live in a, in a land that, that has managed in most of, most of our lifetimes not to go to like world war scale activities. We've suffered the minimum of economic collapses in our lifetimes. We have an abundance. We can buy things that we want. We can dream the dreams that we want to have. We can chase careers and do life. And this is the land of opportunity. And so we've gotten busy with all these opportunities and we're giving ourselves and then COVID comes along. And it just shifts our lives into new categories. And there's time demands. And there's just different ways of doing stuff. And next thing you know, we're all doing it different. We're just all living different now, right? Does anybody notice whether God has been misplaced along the way? I mean, sure, yeah. I mean, we all still believe in God. I mean, it's not like we totally just rejected God. But it's just this new way of life, right? It's a new way. You know, We have people at home. Great Great to see you guys at home. Um, but you know, there's a difference. Let me say this, and I'm probably going to run off half of our at-home audience. Um, there's a difference between being at home because uh, the public setting for me is just a real health concern that I just don't think I should be in a public setting right now. That's a different person than the person who's here every two or three weeks. So you already, you do choose to be in public settings. You just don't choose to do that very often. You used to do it where you were here every Sunday. But now I'm just kind of here, you know, I don't know what. Well, when it works. And that's what everybody else is doing. Because if everybody showed up, we'd have problems with space. We'd have to add services. But we've developed a new routine, right? And if you have conversations with people, you know, I doubt you would have a conversation and sit around the table and say, so you're reading your Bible more than ever, right? Yeah, you too? Me too. I mean, I've read it twice. I was in pandemic. I couldn't do anything else. I read the whole Bible twice this year. You know that one through the Bible? I did it twice. Please go and have those conversations. I'd be very curious. If you can find that conversation, there's a new normal that comes. So at some point, we are these people who have the ability to put distance between us and God. And yeah, I know COVID's adding to our our world of strangeness and its impact on us. But when I stand next to the psalmist in Psalm 42 and I ask, why so downcast, oh my soul? Why are you at turmoil within me? And he responds with the word hope in God. That's not about COVID. That's not about my job. 
That's not about whether my marriage improves or my, my kids all go to Harvard. It's not about any of those things. It's about me on the inside and my hope in God. That's what it's about, right? So Jeremiah picks up this thought. Verse 9, he says, Therefore, I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children I will contend. Did you know God becomes contentious over certain things? That God will interact with our lives and at some point there are issues at play in that moment where God is going to begin to deal differently in that moment than maybe he did at another time. And what is God contending for here? Is God just picking a fight because he's just in a bad mood? Is that how God is? Or does God have such a love and affection for people that he says, hey, remember, you were the first fruits. You were the first of my harvest of people to be near to me, to know me intimately. And then you went far from me. Can I just tell you in principle, God doesn't do far very well. He doesn't like farness. He likes nearness in us. And so when you and I become far in our hearts toward God, God will contend for that. God will begin to fight for that which you and I have displaced. And I love that that grace is that way. That God is going to show up in my space for my good when I haven't figured out whether to call that good or not. When I'm not even interested in that, God is going to go to war to bring that back. And that's what we find right here, right? Verse 11, has a nation changed its gods, even though they are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. And this is an interesting statement that he makes here because he depicts this this flow of water this bringing of some kind of refreshing into the human soul right here and he says i was supposed to be the spring of water that you would come to this oasis and i would let this water flow from who i am into your life but my people have forsaken that in order to cut out their own rocks and holes in the ground and fill it with their own water but can i just warn you god says those cisterns can't hold water You're going to go over and over and over again to something that's got no water in it. And you're not going to be satisfied. Now go back to Psalm 42 and listen to the psalmist who says, why? Why is this going on inside of me? This is the end of the psalm. This is where the psalmist starts the psalm. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts. For God, this is how the psalmist starts Psalm 42. And he ends with, why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Listen, dangerous place. And I know I'm not started with that quote where there are going to be folks searching for options. They're searching for options. They've looked at their life and they've said, that's got something wrong with it. That's got something wrong with it. That's not up to par. That could be done different. You could be better than you are and you could too. So let me search for some options. But you know what we didn't stop to do? Is ask whether it's my soul that's thirsting for God. And it can never be satisfied by any of you. My wife can't do that for me. 
My children can't do that for me. My job can't do that for me. And I can move all the furniture in the room, but if I've got a broken cistern that can't hold water, that'll never get fixed. What's God doing in moments like these? Well, I think he's trying to return hope to our lives. But I think I wrote this in your outline. I don't know if it's, it's there or not, but I wrote a little thought. I'm going to read it to you because I just think it's critically important to get this. What does Yahweh do, this personal God do, when his people remove their hope from him and place it somewhere else? What does he do? And how does he do it? Well, that may surprise us. May surprise us what God does to bring hope into our lives. It would seem by observation that imparting or restoring hope is more than merely a teaching point. To restore hope and to work hope deep into our lives takes more than some insightful teaching or correction or instruction in our lives. It will take more than these things. It will not take less than them. Right? When God does something, he always speaks to us. God's not just doing vague things without an explanation. There are teachers, there are prophets, there are words, there's the Bible. Through Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel, God was speaking and instructing and reminding and warning and debating and confounding and even mocking their different set of ideas that they had been subscribing to. But God was doing more than that. God was working in the circumstances and surroundings of their lives in order to restore hope. See, in this moment where hope needed to return, it wasn't just that God was going to say something. He was going to do something. The circumstances of their lives were, were going to take a certain shape and begin to press on their lives in a certain way in order for God to bring hope. So in Jeremiah 24, I'm going to fast forward from Jeremiah 2 all the way to Jeremiah 24. You're going to get an interesting explanation here. This is God helping Jeremiah to explain and get a better definition for good and bad. Because something's about to happen in his life that he's not necessarily going to understand, even though he's the prophet. All right, so Jeremiah 24, if you can turn there with me or if you're already there. Verse 1, God begins to explain what he's doing to these people. After Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken into exile from Jerusalem, Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, together with the officials of Judah, the craftsmen, the metal workers, and had brought them to Babylon, the Lord showed me this vision, right? So Nebuchadnezzar shows up with a massive army, sets Jerusalem on fire, kills all kinds of people, takes people captive and exports them to Jerusalem. Later, God explains what's going on to Jeremiah. The Lord showed me this vision. Behold, two baskets of figs placed before the temple of the Lord. One basket had very good figs, like first ripe figs. But the other basket had very bad figs, so bad that they could not be eaten. And the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? I said, figs, the good figs, very good. The bad figs, very bad. So bad that they cannot be eaten. So God starts with this illustration about figs and Jeremiah breaks out his words of good and bad. He has an understanding of things that are good in life and bad in life. Then in verse four, then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, 
So I will regard as good the exiles from Judah whom I have sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. I will set my eyes on them for good and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. All right, so God just shows them, here's the whole deal, Jeremiah. In the end of this, a wholehearted return is what's going to happen in the heart of my people. But along the way, God begins to explain what he is doing. And his explanation, quite honestly, for Jeremiah sounds upside down. He says, you know, the good figs you just looked at, they're over here in Babylon. They're in a foreign country. They're under the rulership of another king. They don't live in the promised land anymore. They're not going to hold any services in the temple where my presence dwells. They're over here. Listen, for Jeremiah, that can't be good. There's nothing that he could have understood that that's a good thing. Remember, Jeremiah is raised the same way the Israelites are raised. That God chose us and gave us a promised land. And that land was described as a good land, flowing with milk and honey. And I'm bringing you into it. And you're going to build a tabernacle for me. And I'm going to build a temple. And I'm going to dwell among you. And you're going to be my people. And I'm going to be your God. And God labeled that good. That's a good thing. And now God is saying, no, the good thing is over here in Babylon. I've moved the people out of that land. They no longer are there. They no longer conduct services. They no longer operate in the temple where I dwell. They now live amongst people who don't even believe in me. And they're servants in a foreign land. Now, just clue into this for a second, because God is doing something. God's explaining something that he's doing to his people. But they don't see the good of this. Jeremiah doesn't see the good of this. It's going to take a revelation from God for a person to see something that looks totally bad as something that is actually very good. You get where I'm going? This is what life can feel like for you and I. A 2020 year can feel like there's a lot of bad stuff going on. That God is doing something that's actually good right in the middle of it. Now listen, I can't imagine because, you know, this is all initiated by God, by the way, right? There's nobody praying at the beginning of, of, of... Uh, Jeremiah or the prophets saying, Oh God, would you return us to you wholeheartedly? Would you reestablish worship? Would you engage our lives? And would you lead us to be passionate about you again? They're not doing that. God's going to show up in their life out of his grace. He's not going to be invited and pleaded. He's going to come because he's gracious and kind. But you know, when that grace shows up, it's going to show up in a man named Nebuchadnezzar. A king from a foreign land who is beating up one nation after another on his way to Jerusalem to now take the next set of people. And when he shows up and he kills people and burns things down and loads people up and takes them far away, I would tend to doubt that the people were throwing a party rejoicing, saying, "Ah, the grace of God is here. This is the grace of God. This is the goodness of God showed up in our lives. No, no, no. They're they're just like us. 
that looked like an evil king doing evil things at their expense. And it looked like they were just invited into a period of suffering and are going to get relocated and they have no idea how they'll ever get back. But then God says, this is what I'm doing. I have sent them away. Verse five, verse six, I will set my eyes on them for good. I will bring them back. I will build them up. I will plant them. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. And, and where, does, where does ultimately this land? It ultimately lands with him saying, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. God, why are you doing this? Because I want your whole heart. How about 60%? Would you take the majority vote most of the time? No. I want your whole heart. Because when I don't have your whole heart, whatever portion of it you hold on to, it, it starts to corrupt everything about your life. Does it sound, does it sound unkind, uncaring, intolerant, pushy? What, what, what does it sound like to hear God say, no, I want it all? Well, God, can't you just, you know, I mean, we're all, most of it? No, all of it. Every last bit of your will and your desires, I want. Does that sound like a bad deal? See, it can only sound like a bad deal if I'm convinced that if I could retain a little bit of ownership, I'd do something really awesome with it. I'd do something that would be in my best interest. I'd do something that would protect me. I'd do something that would give me a secure future. I'd do something that would, I just would love every second of that adventure. That's what I'm convinced of. Do you think God cares about your adventure? Do you think God cares about your protection? Do you think God cares about the future of your life? Do you think God cares about any of that? When God demands wholeheartedness toward him, that's what he's after. He's after the ability to give to us the things that are going to be good in our lives and not have them be stolen and corrupted by our own sin. He turns after, he says, I'm going to do good to these who are in exile. And then he says, you know, the bad figs, they're the ones who stay right here in Jerusalem. Right? Verse 8 is God saying, the ones that stay behind, the officials, the remnant in Jerusalem, these are the bad figs. But wait a minute. They're staying in Jerusalem, the city of God. This is where David fought to establish the kingdom right here. This is good. And they're, gonna, what, they're probably going to help rebuild and reestablish the temple right here. No, this is good. No, and God says, no, that's bad right now. That's bad. Can you, can you just get from this story something that's, that's critically important? Um, if you're trying to survive spiritually on something God said 10 years ago in your life, 20 years ago in your life, that, that's not how God designed this thing, right? God, God is the, the breath that we breathe. He is intended to be intimate with us. He's intended to relate to us in a way that's right now, that's today. I can't survive on something God said years ago. I need to hear God saying something to me right now. Now, what is God doing in my life right now? Well, right now, the good thing that I'm doing is over here in Babylon, in this really what you would call bad place. Something really good is going on right there. There's no way they get that on their own. 
There's no natural-minded reason for them to believe that. There's nothing in the Bible at this point that would convince them of that. Until God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah and makes known to them what he's doing. Listen, be careful. There's a lot of us who we've developed our sense of good and bad. And we stare into life and we, we think we know how to use those labels and something happens in our world. We slap the label bad on it. We question God. We push him away from us. What we might need to do is listen carefully to him in this moment. Maybe what you and I are calling bad is actually good. Because it's doing something that's eternal and valuable. It's fixing my soul in a way that is really, really important. And in the long run, I'm going to be very grateful for it, but I'm going to need to let God lead me through that. Right, here's a moment of clarity. So if you fast forward a little forward, started in Jeremiah 2, we went to Jeremiah 24. Okay, now we're in Jeremiah 29. And most of us know this one verse from J- Jeremiah 29. As a matter of fact, it may be one of the few verses in all of Jeremiah most people can quote. Jeremiah 29, 11, we can all say it together. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, right? Plans for welfare and for good to give you a future and a hope, right? Okay, before today, did you have any idea what was going on when that verse was written down? Right? There in Babylon, Jeremiah is in Jerusalem and God has had Jeremiah to write a letter to his people who are in Babylon. I love the moments where God writes us a letter, right? I want them to understand something about what I'm doing. That's what you get from Jeremiah 29. Look at verse one. It says, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests the prophets, and all the people, right? These are all the people. I love this list here because they're all the people who none of them were saying, where's the Lord, right? Remember those guys? The people weren't saying, where's the Lord? The priests weren't saying, where's the Lord? The prophets weren't saying, the shepherds, none of them were saying, where's the Lord? And yet God still writes them a letter. I'm working my plan in your life, even though you're not even asking where I am. Whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Then fast forward to our favorite verses here in Jeremiah 29, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. This is a key ingredient, right? I think a lot of us could survive things a little bit differently if if God would just stick a date on it. Don't you? This is trouble. This is hard. If you just told me, yeah, but it's just, just two more years. Maybe, maybe some uh, two more years, really? But God does something right here that you and I have to pay careful attention to. He has a timing on what he does. He comes right out and writes them a letter. 70 years. It's going to be 70 years. Uh, it doesn't appear that, that God's real open to be talked into a different time frame. If they prayed and fasted, would it become maybe 35 years? Could they cut that down to 20 years? It doesn't look like it. It looks like this is God's plan. 70 years has a reason behind it. And God is doing something that's going to take 70 years to do. So God's explaining here. 
write a letter to them, let them know I haven't forgotten about them. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. Right? What are those plans seeking to accomplish? Well, he says it right here. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope, right? I know the plans I have for you. I have a plan to give you hope, right? Because I know you could be the guy in Psalm 42. You could be waking up and going, why? Why so downcast? Why am I in turmoil in here? Hope in God. Well, what great news comes in this passage? Because I'm learning from here that I don't create the hope in God. God has a plan to create my hope in him. I know the plans I have for you. Wait, Lord, can you say that again real slow? Because I, I, I wanted to hear you say, I know, the, I know where the switch is to turn hope on in your life. Is that what you said? I said, I know the plans I have for you to give you a hope, right? So like, maybe like step one, step two, step three, step eight, step 70 years, hope. And are you seeing this with me? Because this is, this is hugely important because I want to crawl in my prayer closet and I want to come out fixed, I want, I want hope to be oozing out of my pores. I want this amazing transformation in that moment. You know, I read a Bible verse, had a moment with God, and poof, hope that just pours itself on everything in my life. Every COVID event, every personal challenge, every difficulty in life, just poof, came out of the prayer closet. I guess God could do that. That's not what he's doing here. I know the plans I have for you, like plans like Nebuchadnezzar plans, plans like have, using a hostile king to come overthrow us and take us to a foreign land plans. Yeah. You read my book? Yeah. 70 year kind of plans. Yeah, exactly. 70 year kind of plans. Good. You read it again. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. To give us a hope. Then he says, verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. What was the psalmist's problem? I would, I would tend to say the psalmist's problem was a misplaced God. The psalmist's problem was he was coming up dry in the hope category, not because hope is something in and of itself. Hope in God, right? This is not just some positivity thing that, hey, cross your fingers. Come on, the sun will come out, everybody, tomorrow. You know, that's not that kind of hope. Transfer your hope to God, to himself, the God who works hope. Well, how's he gonna give me hope? Well, it may take 70 years. And you may get exported to Babylon. He, he may do things in your life that you had no idea life would go in that direction. 
And we quote this verse, right? And we do quote this verse when we need it. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I know the plans. Make that word louder next time you quote this verse. I know the plans I have for you. And I'm working that plan. In the year 2020, with all that's happened this year, we don't have Nebuchadnezzar's, but we got our own cast of characters, right? COVID came along. Who the heck had heard of that before? Economically, health-wise, relationally, challenges. No, no show of hands, but everybody get along at Thanksgiving, mask-wise, non-mask-wise. Who knew that the world was going to be as weird as it is? Uh, God knew. Because he knows the plans he has for us. And there's not a moment in which those plans don't include you and me. All right, now now do get this. Don't don't do something to the Bible that the Bible's not wanting you to do. When Nebuchadnezzar shows up with an army and threats and fear and death and fire and a reputation that who is this guy? Oh, he's the guy who's beaten everybody all over the world. That guy, when he shows up, he doesn't have a press conference meeting where he says, hey, just want everybody to know your God sent me and he's really in control of all this and I'm gonna be taking you out of here, but in 70 years, you're all coming back and it's gonna be fine. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't show up and do that. COVID doesn't show up for the people of God and hold a press conference. Say, look, I'm going to shut the whole world down. I'm going to paralyze a global economy. Some of you are going to wonder at the end of the day whether you got a job or not. Some of you are going to graduate from college and there's going to be nothing sitting out there waiting for you. Uh, but, but don't worry. God's in control of all this. It's all going to work out fine. And in Two years or however long God's time frame is, you're going to come back. Everything's going to be cool. COVID doesn't show up and make that announcement, does it? But what you know about the God that you walk with is he always has a plan for us that he will be faithful to and he will accomplish. So I want to pray for us a little bit this morning. Keith, I don't know what we're left with with musicians. You're the guy. Come on, buddy. Thank you. And I, I want us just to, I want, I want to do this. So I want to let you be found by God. Not as though he doesn't know where you are, but don't you sometimes feel like he doesn't know where you are? Right? Well, none of us are asking, where is God? Uh, we're the ones that are in a place where we're wondering, yeah, where is God? Where is he? How did I get to this moment? How do I get to a place that is my own version of Babylon? I'm away from things that matter to me. The hopes that I had in my life at this point, they're not happening. I don't see anything good as far as my eyes can see. Things feel bad. They feel awful. I do feel like I'm on the verge of nausea. Something's not right. It's not right inside of me and it's not right around me. And I'm wondering, how do I I fix that? Hope in God. What you're experiencing on the inside of you, it may be this. What if it's God revealing some things to you right now? What if God's pointing out broken cisterns in your life that can hold no water? 
And all these years, you've been putting all your hopes into that cistern thinking, oh, I'm going to drink from that cistern for the rest of my life. That's going to be so good for me. Do you know how many good things in our lives we're tempted to make into God things in our lives? You know how tempting it is? If you're married here, you know how tempting it is to turn your spouse into the fountain of living water? Can I just tell you, you're, you're, don't, don't, don't write this in a card one day to your spouse. Babe, you're just like a broken cistern to me. <laughs> Everything in your life is a broken cistern. Everything in life is broken. Needing God to redeem it. Were you hoping that having children and their accomplishments and the way they remembered special things about you and always brought that up and never overlooked your birthday, celebrated everything about you as a mom and a dad and all that you remember right now. Can you remember what you did that with your parents real quick? All the hopes. Have you discovered yet that your children are like broken cisterns? They, they can't hold water. Your job. All the hopes that you had. That all the security it was going to provide. And all the career. And it was going to be so good. And it would be so much money. And it would be good. And retirement would be easy. All that came to a place where you discovered it's a broken cistern. Listen, that can be a scary moment or it can be a discovery moment that God is the fountain of living water. And my soul thirsts for God. And maybe God brings us to these places in Babylon to get us to come in contact with the fact that I need Him. That's what I need. I need to hope in God and through God's kindness, years like 2020 exist that highlight the broken cisterns of our lives all over the place so that I can hope in God. Let's stand up together. one of the things I hope that we will catch in this moment this morning is that each and every one of us no matter what our storyline has been like in 2020 or maybe in the years leading up to this year you know where we are you have not forgotten us nor forsaken us Lord we could be thousands of miles away from the promised land Everything that we hoped for and expected is so far removed from us and we feel like we're just in Babylon under the rule of some bad situation. But you know where we are. And how kind of you, Lord, to even write a letter to those who are so far away. Lord, would you write a letter this morning for us? you dial into husbands and wives here today, moms and dads, grandparents who are here. Maybe some who are here, Lord, their health has taken a turn for the worst. They, they feel like the days of good, healthy living are done. I'm in a faraway place and I'm afraid. But for some who are in that sort of midlife moment, where hopes and dreams have sort of already been lived. And now what? What do I do now? What do I do when I'm 60 and 70? What's, what's the rest of this going to look like for me? 
God, in this room right now, you know the hearts that right now, they sound this way. Why? Why do I feel this way? Why does nothing feel satisfying? Why do I feel so flat? Why do I feel so unmotivated? Lord, why? Why such turmoil in my soul? Lord, this morning, would you make us aware that perhaps right now, you are restoring hope to our lives. You are returning hope to our lives. And 2020 was part of that. And our circumstances are part of that. God, hope is not a switch. It's not even one message. It's not just a moment. Lord, it is you at work in places that sometimes could take 70 years. So Lord, we want to we cooperate with you. That's what we want to do. I just want to ask you that right now as you're just praying before God and you're recognizing God is at work in your life. You see it in this passage. You see it in your own life. But the question, are you cooperating with God? Is your heart in a place where it's turned to God in cooperation and saying, God, I know that you're at work in my world. I know you are. You would not abandon me. and You have not forsaken me. Yes, God, yes, I will cooperate with you in this place. I will live in this space. I will let you bring hope to my life. Lord, I will let you return my heart to you whole, wholehearted devotion and love and affection and worship to you. God, I will, I will, Lord, I will let you do that. God, I pray for this. In these days, as we close out this year, we spend some time just staring into hope and how you work hope in our lives and how you want hope to be found in our lives. Lord, just remind us, this is your work, Lord. We don't have to know it all. We don't have to figure it all out. You will, I will, I will, I will. Lord, thank you for what you will do in our lives. Give us grace, Lord, to receive it in these days ahead so that we might be a people characterized by a living hope no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have an amazing, awesome week. See you back next week, guys at home. Miss you. Hope to see you soon. Got room in this service, 11 o'clock. You can sleep in late, have breakfast early, come join us for 11, whatever works for you. We'll see you guys then.